I mean, anything you do with somebody else is kind of fun. <laughs> you can make it fun. That's, I, I can't ever remember. That's Mary Owen right there. This is your strange and beautiful life. Hi, everybody, and welcome to This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. My name is Erica J. Schmidt, and on this podcast, I am talking to people who may or may not have had the chance to transform their lives into spectacular TED Talks. So today's guest is my most beloved grandmother, Mrs. Mary Louise Adamson Owen. Uh, She is such a coveted guest that I lugged my podcast equipment all the way to Perth, Ontario on the train. Uh, And Grandma was staying at a long-term care facility, so we turned her little room with the lazy boy in the hospital bed into a mini podcast studio. Uh, We stole tables from the Jigsaw Puzzle Lounge, and Grandma was like, oh my gosh, I I can't believe we're doing this. But grandma has always been, she's just always been game for anything. She's 96 and she's so sparkly and wherever she goes, she connects with people, whether it's like the pharmacy, the restaurant, the person cutting her toenails, she's just like interested and she tries to find the story behind the person. So she's like, she just wants to hear about people's strange and beautiful lives. So I thought she was the perfect guest. Uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. I know you will. I loved it. And uh, thank you, Grandma. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Okay, here we go. Love you. Bye. Talk soon. Would you want to introduce yourself? I'm ready. Well, what's your name? Oh, my name is Mary Adamson Owen. Mm-hmm. Isn't your middle name Louise, too? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mary Louise Adamson Owen. And so everybody thinks that they have the best grandmother, but not everyone is right. I am right. Uh, My grandmother is the best. And we're in the metropolis of Perth, Ontario, right? Population 7,000. And what we're going to talk about today, so Mary, Mary Adamson Owen... Why don't you tell me a little bit about when you were born, where you were born, and yeah. Okay, well, I was born in 1926 um, in a little town called Creighton Mine that is uh, attached, or used to be attached, to Sudbury, Ontario. My dad was a prospector, mining engineer, And so we moved from Sudbury to Sulacout, Gogama, and we ended up, uh, spent a a few months in Toronto and then off to Kirkland Lake when I was four. And Kirkland Lake, speaking of metropolises like Perth, Ontario, so this is a town of how many people in the heyday? In the heyday, 22,000, six gold mines, and a lot of loving people from 
every spot in the world, practically. Mm-hmm. Including you and your family. And so can you tell me, do you, your first memory as a child's... Well, I was four. Okay, pretty early. We lived in a small apartment over the Dominion store. 1930, wooden sidewalks. At four to five years of age, I was allowed to go down from the apartment to shop. Precocious childs, or people just did that at four years old. Well, I mean, how handy can it be? Walk down the stairs and there's the store. So I was sent down for a pound of tea and something else. I don't know what. And my mother gave me a 50 cent piece. Unfortunately, as I'm going into the store, I dropped the 50 cent piece between the cracks on the sidewalk. And there is the 50 cent piece lying 12 inches and I can't get it. On a wooden sidewalk. And then, right, because 50 cents, they could get a pound of a pound of tea and like some other thing you needed. Yeah. So your dad came down and he was, he was an engineer, right? He was like, yeah, yeah. yeah handy person. So he... He and I spent, I would say, almost an hour trying to retrieve the 50-cent piece with the magnet. Sorry, I can't tell you whether we got it, but knowing my dad, I figure he would have persevered. So you probably did get it. So you're growing up in Kirkland Lake as a little tyke. And so can you tell me a little bit about Peggy Morrison, one of your classmates? She was one of my grade school cohorts, sat right in front of me. She had long long curls that were done with her mother's finger. And they hung over into my, my desk very irritating (laughs) and I put up with this for quite some time and one day I decided a place for that one of those curls was in the inkwell so I did that and I, I really liked the look of it so I took it out and put I think maybe one or two more in. As a result, we had an inky-looking blouse. Her mother, when school was over at 4 o'clock, her mother chased me down the road. She was not pleased? No. Okay. And then you were not friends with Peggy Morrison? No, she was not one of my pals. No. Okay. Well, you made lots of pals, though. You are someone who makes friends everywhere you go. Uh, and you're a bit of a leader, would you say? Can you tell me um, what happened? I mean, I guess it must have been... I can't tell you the year. Ni- when were you in high school? Ni- 19... 1939. Okay. And so, one, you know, 1939-40s, there's one of your French teachers is away. 
you have a yes. supply teacher. And what does Mary decide to do? Well, this supply teacher, first of all, she couldn't parley-voo. And so that the two hours we had with her were torture. Right. And so I talked with someone and someone else, and it was decided that we'd see if we could get the whole class not to show up. Well, it happened. I think there was only one boy that didn't come with us. He went to the class with the yeah he the went not to the good class supply teacher. He wanted the to rest learn. of us went downtown to the local hangout, Andy's for a coke. So you're just crowding this this diner. We did. I think we filled it up. So field trip. You led a field trip. So. That, yeah, that's what it was. We were discussing the quality of Colts. So that afternoon, we had to go down to the principal's office where he gave us a speech on lack of kindness, rudeness, da-da, da-da, da-da. Respect. Respect. So home we went with a letter from the principal with a spot for the parents to sign, my child will never do this again, and a signature. And I think it was a signature of not just one parent, but two. So um, my parents wouldn't sign this. Uh, My dad wrote a letter and he said, I'm sorry that Mary took part in this. It was not a good thing to do. However, I cannot guarantee that she will never do it again. I am very sorry. Yeah, that you would not be in charge of chaos at another time. I love that. Okay, that was the only time you skipped school, right? I'm not going to say that. Okay, that's fair. So then you grew up in an interesting time. There was the Great Depression, and your father ran a mine, right? And you had a house. And so you you had maybe more comforts than most people at that time. So can you tell me some memories about the people you met? We were very comfortable. We had a warm house. My dad had a good job. However, every day at mealtime, we had a young person from southern Ontario who came up to northern Ontario to find work in the different mines. They wanted to work in the mines, but at mealtime, they came around for a meal. They would do anything for you, clean the floor, sweep the driveway, shovel the driveway, whatever. They wanted a job. So my mother always put extra food in the pot. And most meals we had an extra guy sitting at the table with us. Mother would provide him with soap and water to wash up. Sometimes 
pair of shoes, sometimes a shirt. So that was that was the depression. Well, the war came in 1939. So our our visitors from southern Ontario stopped. But then we were helping the war effort. So what yeah, what did that look like? Because people started to some of the young people you went to school with started to go to war. Well, the guys I'm in grade nine in thirty-nine. Okay, so the fellas in grade twelve and thirteen, they were joining up. Mm-hmm. These were people's older brothers. So as we progressed, more and more boys. Mm-hmm. The boys in our class started to go, and so we we were we sold war stamps. We 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 collected stuff like iron and things that could be used south in the war factories. So we felt that we were part of the war effort. And your father was keeping track of all the. The battles and stuff on the oh, yes, we had map. maps all over the walls, and you'd stay updated on the radio. Everybody yes, would get everybody. all the information on the radio. The news, the news was very important, and you sat and kept your mouth shut and listened to the news. Mm-hmm. And we wrote letters to the boys that we knew overseas, and I think at one time I I wrote to about six guys. Oh, you were a prolific pen pal. Yeah. I must run oh, in the yes. family. Me too. Yeah. Well, they, they encouraged you because a letter from home was always good for the boys overseas. Uh, great. So next. Oh, yeah. So we talk a little bit. So you were in the Rens because you wanted to join the Air Force, but you couldn't. They weren't taking women. So then you joined the Rens in Baccaro. And there was almost an invasion while you were protecting the harbor. What we were doing was very secretive. And we could tell nobody that what we were doing is we were sending out signals that were read by ships and aircraft. And by the readings they took, they knew exactly where they were. So if they're flying above New York City, they read this reading and they read that reading and, oh, this is where I am. So years later, one of my friends in the Wrens was in Montreal and right next door she heard somebody talking about the invasion of Europe by the Allies and of course, she, having been doing Loran, long-range navigation, she started to talk to him. And he told her that if it hadn't been for Loran, the weather was so bad, the invasion, they would never have got to Europe if they hadn't had Loran reading. <laughs> so she, she was quite... Happy to hear that because, you know, we never knew. You never got your feedback of, like, whether you made a difference. And for years, Loran was not talked about. Right. Yeah. So 
And then there was the plan if you did, like, there were the German ships that were nearby that one night. We, we got a message from Halifax that there were three or four German subs patrolling the coastline. And, I mean, we were yards from, from the ocean. So the, the story was, you have to patrol Baccarol. We had three fellows there, and they got their rifles out, and they patrolled around our area. We were on alert with our guns close beside us. Uh, we're still working Loran, and the orders were to set off the dynamite, which was in the next room to where we worked pull up the, the floor, set the dynamite going, and then run like hell. Run like hell. So then, but you said you didn't have to do push-ups. You didn't have like a vigorous... Oh, no. No, I mean, at Baccarat, we're not only running the Loran stuff. We're helping the cook. We're cleaning the base. We're doing the laundry. We had no maintenance. We were maintenance. You're running the fort. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the girls said, Well, I didn't join the Navy to house clean. So she wasn't there very long. She didn't do much good Did you like morale. Did you like cleaning then or now? Like, were you a good you know cleaner? What? It was a job. Yeah. I joined the Navy. What, what was I going to do? I don't know. Yeah, but some people like cleaning and some people don't like cleaning. You yeah, just... Well, I, I don't think... I mean, anything you do with somebody else is kind of fun. <laughs> you can make it fun. That's... I, I can't ever remember... That's Mary Owen right there. I, I can never remember being too upset at having to scrub... The toilet or whatever else. Yeah. And then when you went to have a family, like in the rest of your adult life, did you like cleaning? This is one of my favorite topics. No, but it had to be done. Okay, so here we are. It's March the 6th, Monday. We're at Lanark Lifestyles and... Mary Owen is going to tell us a little bit about her book that she wrote. Uh, the name of this book is My Journey. And it, it is our family story, the story of Adamson, Elford, Harris, and many other names. Um, we start out in the early 1800s, and we close off um, early in the 2000s. Uh, it's the story of love, a little hate. Ooh, um, juicy. Adventures, travels. And this is a very thick book. Like, this is hundreds of pages, right? It's probably 300 pages, maybe? I would think so. A lot of pictures, some of them good, 
and some of them not so good. You don't think so? I think they're all good. But the other thing I want to say is that Grandma formatted this. So you you wrote this over 10 years, right? Maybe yeah, started in the early eight, yeah. 2000s? Eight, eight, yeah. eight to 10 years. And it wasn't just the writing. Grandma took all the photos from, you know, the last... Well, you're not 100 years old, and you weren't at the time. But the last... You know, it was almost a century and baby pictures and then maybe some old family photos from before you were born. And she formatted it. I don't know if anybody has ever tried formatting. It is my definition of a nightmare. (laughs) And grandma persevered. She did it all by herself. You did a course. You took some courses. Well, I took how how to turn on a computer. I had a lot of help from... The grandchildren, who were full of knowledge. I had somebody downtown here in Perth who took a black and white picture that left much to be desired, and they put a bit of black here and a bit of black there, took off a few blobs, and we came out with some half-decent pictures. So I, I hope... In the future, people will read the book, look at the pictures, maybe even gain a little wisdom. Yeah, and you'll see that people are pretty good looking. A lot of the people in grandma's life are dashing. Grandma, very dashing. She still has her sparkle. Um, But we were talking about this yesterday. We're just, if you're listening to this finished podcast, well, we did it in chunks because... We're very busy people, especially grandma. Uh-oh. So we we were talking about the love. Grandma was, she went on some dates with a fellow from Noranda in Quebec. They went bowling before the war, and then he joined the Air Force. And yesterday we were talking about his letter. And we, oh, we forgot the Kleenex again. But we may have shed a few tears recalling his letter, but... We have his letter right here. He wrote in, it's July of 1944. The photo of John is from 1944. And he wrote this letter by hand. But we were looking, so he, he wrote the letter from Paris. It's handwritten. You were saying it was probably... He wasn't in Paris. Oh, okay. he, was, he was in Britain. Okay. Yeah. He was in Britain training, and the flyers flew out of Britain, and they were working on the capture of Paris from the Germans. Uh, So this letter was found in his locker after he didn't return from a mission. He was 20 years old, um, shot down um, in August uh, in France on his 22nd mission just prior to the liberation of Paris, August the 26th, 1944. So I was one of many who lost a good friend. And when I was in back row, this letter was forwarded to me from Britain. Dear Mary, I'm writing this so that in case I'm missing or worse, luck dead, 
I can still leave you a few words to tell you. This is sent. This is kind of a hard letter to write, as I mean to say so much, and I mean every word I of it more than anything. I have have never said before. Uh, you may have received my letters that. I liked you. Well, I didn't stop there. I intended to carry it further. I I never made I I never made a great lover, but I know that if everything had turned out as I had planned, I would have tried to make you as happy as I possibly could. Many times as I lay awake in my bed, dreaming of home and my loved ones, I dreamed of you and all the good times we used to have. The time when I first met you in the bowling alley and that funny little hat with the big feather in it. I guess I really fell for you there. Then after that, when I used to see you in Kirtland Lake after the basketball games, you might not have known it, but when the other guys looked at you, I always burned up. You'd think I owned you or something. And again, when you came down to Toronto, I never was so happy in all my life. That night when I went back to barracks, I couldn't sleep for just thinking of you. I often uh, think myself for not wanting to write for, to you for so long while I was in training, but I guess I was kind of jealous and and was misunderstanding. I quit writing to you. I should have had my head examined. Oh. I, <laughs> I wish we could have met each other, others' families. I know I would have liked your mom and dad, and I think you would have liked mine too. If this war was not on, I don't know how it would have worked out, but all for the best, I hope. You may not agree with all of this, as you might think it's too serious, but I'm sorry that this was the way I felt. And seeing I couldn't tell you when I could have, I just had to tell you in writing. If ever you have time, please write to Mum, as I know she'd be glad to hear from you. I am writing her, too. Well, Mary, maybe now or later, You'll meet someone you love, and maybe you'll decide to, to to settle down. Be sure he sure will be a lucky fellow to have such a swell wife. Wherever I am, I shall always remember you, and, and those memories will always be my fondest. Well, I could go on and on to t- 
tell you all what I thought, but it would always be the same thing. I loved you dearly. Well, Mary, I would have hoped for something better than this letter as a way of saying goodbye. But once again, best of luck to you. Please write to the folks. They'd be glad to hear from me. All my love. Dawn. Oh, Dawn. <gasps> so that was the year, what, the 1944? What was the year? August. Okay. Oh. 1944. He almost made it home. <gasps> he, well, the war was almost over. One more year. Uh, yeah. Well, and when he was talking about Toronto, I was there with a friend, Doreen Barkell, and we were working on my um, uncle's market garden while I was waiting for my call to the Navy. And, and he was training in Toronto, and he would come out to Etobicoke, or we'd, Doreen and I would go downtown and meet him. And I'm, I'm sure that he would bring a guy along. For Doreen. For Doreen. So everybody hunts yeah. somebody. Yeah. <gasps> I... So that was, uh, that was just before my Navy call came up. I definitely fell for someone at a bowling alley before. That still, that still happens. I looked at this guy, I thought, oh yeah, that one. But it didn't work out. No. But I was I was into him. But then he said, whoever you end up with will be really lucky to have a swell, you a swell gal as, as his wife. He was right. He was right. He would have felt like he won the lottery. So do you have advice for people who are getting married? No, no advice. Um, no, no advice. Okay, right. Just be careful. <laughs> I remember you saying that you should, because back in your time, you were not allowed to live with your boyfriend before you got married, right? No. So you just, so you recommended to my sister and I that we should live. Yeah, it might be a good idea to, you know, live with them for a while. Test the waters. Okay. So you had children. How many children? Three. Yeah. And then tell us about when you had three kids under five and you had to go to your doctor, Dr. Parker. Well, I went and I'm sure I had the, I had John who was six months old. I had Valerie who was... Not quite two. And I had Susan, who was not quite four. So off we went to see Bill Parker. Well, I said to Bill, I am very tired. I think (laughs) I should have some type of examination because there's certainly something wrong with me. You thought you had cancer, right? (laughs) I thought I had something. And Bill, who was a bit older than I was, whose kids were probably 10 or 12 years older than mine, and he laughed, and he laughed 
And I said to him, well, Bill, I don't think that's very funny. <laughs> and he said, well, Mary, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be tired until John is in school. You know what? He was right. And so John went to school and he was four. And then, yeah. and that was, yeah. so do you have advice for, for parents with young children? No, I have no advice for parents with young children, <laughs> except to try to laugh, try to maintain your sense of humor, and remember that those kids, you may think about sending them off for adoption, <laughs> but <laughs> they really are worthwhile. <laughs> By the time they're 24, you think, oh, my gosh, those kids, they've changed. How'd I make those? And then, and only share what you're comfortable We, But then you had the experience that your, hus- your first husband left you in mm-hmm. the late 70s. So you were... 50 in your early 50s when that happened and that's a hard thing to have happen um so yeah tell me and I I think there were some big changes that happened to you in your early 50s so you can share whatever you want about that oh well that that was tough you know stay-at-home mom part-time school teacher and I felt I was a failure when Bob walked out the door. But after a little counseling, and um, I started a a new career, and I became very self-sufficient, and my my esteem, which was never strong on my list, became very strong. And so I became the person I am now, I think, quite independent, um, not always sure of myself, but some things happened for a reason. And I think that was a good thing when Bob decided that there were other things in store for him. So... There were other things in store for you, too. Yeah. So I recouped. I recouped. Yeah, because remember, you said that you felt, because sometimes in our society, sometimes, you know, women turn 50 and it's like, okay, well, that's it. They don't have as, like, you know, they just, people think they're not as good looking. They don't have as much value for society, right? But then you seem to have had a bit of a renaissance at 50. You, I remember you telling me your personality flourished. You had your sense of humor, you got to sort of be yourself more than you had before. Right. Very definitely. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about this new career. Oh, well, I, I, I went into, to, um, into an office situation, and I went from the office looking after the design group at a wall covering company 
and then went on to help produce the wall covering books that we all choose our wallpaper from. Mm -hmm. And there I met Howard, who was a photographer, and moved to the States for 14 years, back to Canada, because that was the deal. So here I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, you, you ran the company with Howard, right? You went to New Jersey? Yes, we, yeah. And you helped with the photography company yeah. in Boonton, New Jersey, another metropolis. And that was fun when you lived in the States, a bit far, but then... We went and we went to Broadway shows in New York City, right? We had the highlight of going to Broadway. So I think we were talking about you being a rule follower, not really a rule follower, I would say. So can you tell me about this time where we went, Grandma took us to The Sound of Music. It was very special for us to go to visit, well, not The Sound of Music, The Secret garden. garden. So it was very special to go to grandma's house. We, we would go for the March break and then we'd get to go to New York City for one of the days and see a special show. And so we went to the secret garden. And at halftime, my sister, a few years older than me, she had to go to the bathroom and grandma had to go to the bathroom too. And what happened? <laughs> well, like all women's um, bathrooms, they're always full. Not are, the, are they always full. There's always a lineup half a mile long. So we're standing there and looking at her watch, thinking well, the show is going to start at any moment. So I looked over, and there's the men's washroom. An idea came upon me. So I march over to the men's washroom, banged on the door, opened it and said, anybody here? Nobody was here. So I waved the women. There, there must have been 20 or <laughs> 25 traffic. Of us. And I said to the group, I'll stand by the door and keep the men out. <laughs> so everybody go to the bathroom as fast as they can. Well, of course... Some dumb man came up and made a big fuss because the women had taken over the men's washroom. So he went up to the manager and brought her down. <laughs> and neither one of them was very nice. However, we did go to, everybody got to the jaw. And then we got back with no emergencies. So, but it's just like, for whatever reason, women need more washroom space. And you'd think, like, a million years later, they would build, they would fix that. Same thing at the airport. I did the same thing. I learned from my grandmother. I was at the airport, and it was a 10-year-long lineup, and I just walked in on the men. I said, hi, guys. I'm not going to look. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's the, that's, the, that's the role model we have with grandma. If it doesn't work, the rules don't work, you change the rules. And so then, yeah, so then grandma lived with Howard in New Jersey. And that was the deal is that they would move to, ha to New Jersey, come back to retire in Canada. And I was the most lucky grandchild because when grandma moved to Canada, she picked Perth, Ontario to move to. And so they have a majestic house by the river. 
And so we got to see them all the time. So as you get older, you maybe notice people treat you differently, right? Um, and do you have any sort of guidance for people who run into older people at the grocery store, in their work, like nurses, you know, cashiers? Yeah. Well, I've been very, very lucky here because there's a nice camaraderie. Um, I think too often... Uh, younger people look on older people as if they're, and many of us, many of us, we certainly aren't as sharp as we used to be. But I, I think it's very helpful to have people treat you um, as, as if you knew a few things. Even if, well, I don't know how to put it, but it, it, I'm not doing too well with this question. No, it's right. Like treating people as though you have something to say. You have a story to say. You've been around uh, yeah, for a while. Uh, one thing that very much irritates me is when I'm off on an appointment to, doesn't matter, the shoemaker, the guy that grows the potatoes, and he and whoever I'm with are talking. And it's if I'm not even there. The questions are always addressed to my buddy. And sometimes my buddy knows less than I do. So the next time you're talking with a friend and an older person, look the older person in the eye and talk to them. Don't always address your words to the guy or the girl that brought this older person. The older person needs to be talked to. Mm -hmm. The communication level is still there. Try to bring it out. Yeah. So, yeah, you people still exist and don't act like old people don't exist. That happens sometimes with people with disabilities, too. You look at the person as though they don't exist. And grandma certainly has lots to share. We've been talking for hours. And so you might learn something. You might, um, you will miss out if you ignore. If you ignore the, oh, I messed that up. Hello. Okay, I was trying to fix my levels, and we need it. We need I've been a technician. trying to fix my level for years. <laughs> Still haven't made it. So, oh, we'll just talk a little bit about emotions. Um, you know, what can you say about you know a good cry? Do you recommend? Oh, very definitely. Uh, first of all, it clears out your eye ducts. Uh, second of all, you may be crying with somebody that you love to cry with, and uh, tears bring forth words. Hey, we've got it right there. <laughs> words and tears. Best thing in the world. <laughs> So 
grandma, can you talk about, what would you say, do you have your greatest accomplishments of your life? What are you most proud of? Probably the, um, the, the four or the three children I, I produced. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite proud of them. Um, Cicero has a very famous saying, um, what gift has providence bestowed on man that is so dear to him as his children? That's lovely. So, yeah, it's worth it in the end, even with all the crying and sleepless nights that children cause. Um, and do you have any regrets in your life? No. Um, never look upon, never look upon the past because the future is all you have for tomorrow will be the present and today will be the past. Wow. It was from memory. Um, so what are you most proud of? Um, regrets. Do you have words, uh, words to live by? To what? Like words, words to live by? I think, I think if you live for today, not worry about tomorrow, and certainly not worry about yesterday or two weeks ago, Today's all you have, so make the most. That's perfect. Okay, and if is there anything, if you could change anything about the world or humans, what, what would it be? I, I guess if we all thought uh, a little more about uh, the guy next door, the guy across the street, um, the guy that lives in... China, um, or the fellow that lives in Russia. We've got to start loving everybody, even if they are pains in the neck. Oh, that's good. Uh, so now we're going to end with some words of wisdom, which Grandma included at the back of her memoirs. I just want to say, I cannot find it now, but when I read the back of her memoirs, Grandma said, Life may not be the party we had hoped for, but while we are here, we might as well dance. And we might as well laugh and cry also. But she's going to read more of her favorites. Okay. Um, from Sir Harry Lauder. I could tell where the lamplighter was by the trail he left behind him. And that, of course, indicates as he went along the dark road, he was lighting the lamps. So let's all try to light some lamps. <clears throat> Youth is the time for the adventures of the body, but age is the time for the triumphs of the mind. So there we are. There we are. Two triumphant minds right here. Okay. Did you want to sing a song or something? Um, no, I I don't have my vocal cords oh, on yeah. today. Okay. Well, this has been wonderful. And 
We love Grandma, and thank you, Grandma, for being on the first podcast ever of This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. And I think we're just going to hang out and relax now because we've been working hard. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And any last final words, Grandma? We're all set. Amen. What's that? I said amen. Amen. Okay, amen. I think we're good. Okay, excellent. So This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life is an independent podcast, so we don't have any sponsors yet. If you would like to sponsor the podcast, I would be delighted to plug you or your products or your services as long as they don't hurt anybody's feelings or their bodies. To sponsor the podcast, you can get in touch through my website. It's erikajschmidt.com slash contact. So Erica with a C, add in a J. Schmidt is a little hard. It's S-C-H-M-I-D-T. And I said that really fast, but I think you can figure it out. I believe in you. Thank you so much. Uh, More thank yous. Thank you to Joe Catman, my technical and creative advisor and most cherished friend. Uh, Thank you. You can follow Joe Catman on Facebook and check out his quirky events at Sherwin's Quirky Events. They are very charming. I highly recommend. Thank you to my big sister, Tess Levitt, for helping me refine the inspiration for this podcast. Thank you for my late Aunt Eileen, whose generous gift has helped to fund the podcast equipment. Uh, Thank you so much, Eileen, wherever you are. And thank you to you for listening. Uh, This podcast is a dream come true. Uh, As my grandmother said, I just, I can't believe it. And I so appreciate you listening all the way to the end. If you want to follow me, you can find me on Facebook at Erica J. Schmidt or on Instagram at erica.j.schmidt. Do you think we should sing the song at the end? I don't know. Okay, well, the words are easy. The best is if you sing along. So please sing along to the song, This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. Okay, ready? Um, wait, one, two, three. Here we go. This is your strange and beautiful life. Have the best day, have the best week, or at least reasonable. Love you so much. Talk soon. Love you. Goodbye.